welcome to Recast, presented by the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each episode will look at a key issue of mission or discipleship for church leaders in Scotland. We will be bringing you key voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the church in Scotland. Anderson on our podcast today and Pete was our keynote speaker at Canopy back in the summer now and as we're kind of starting to head into autumn I feel like the leaves are turning a little bit um, but I will not think about that too much. Um, Pete tell us a little bit about yourself what you do and we always like to ask that like slightly sneaky question which is tell us something that we wouldn't find on a website about you something interesting. (laughs) Well, it's it's great to be with you folks, and it was also great to be with the Baptist Union at the Canopy event. It really was uh, a highlight for me, and it was a joy to uh, get to see people that I'd known, actually. So a lot of people, I, I knew a lot of people, and but also meet some new people and, and just see what you guys are doing. So really cheering you on. So what what's what's something that people wouldn't know about me? Well, I, I grew up in Glasgow. That's, that's not anything new. I grew up in Glasgow, became a Christian when I was 15. Uh, moved to Edinburgh when I was 21. But what people wouldn't know is when I was about 14, just before I became a Christian, I was asked to fish for Scotland in an international. Oh, yes. There you go. Um, so I used to, every, every weekend, me and my friends would be out fishing. So we were we were mad keen. We entered competitions and we were, we were all right. Um, yeah, this is where the how big was the biggest fish that you caught on a podcast doesn't really work so well as your hands go outside. It was, it was more quantity <laughs> rather than quality. We, 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 we would catch a lot, but um, as you do in competition fishing, but you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily catch massive fish. But yeah, oh, do you, so you you regret not doing that, of course. And and now it's a really corny joke as you've become a fisher of men, isn't it? But yeah. <laughs> so tell us what you do. That wasn't your joke. I think Jesus said that. Didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott was doing that, Steve. And, and he wasn't joking, he was serious. <laughs> so tell us what you do now in your daytime job and other things. I'm now a fisher of men. <laughs> and women and children. <laughs> so so I moved to Edinburgh. Well, I studied architecture at Strathclyde University and I moved through to Edinburgh. And after you do your studies, the next part of your, your progress is to um, go into practice. So, so I did uh, five years working in a firm in Edinburgh and that was in Edinburgh City Centre. And then having um, started working in the architect's office in Edinburgh City Centre, then uh, we, we we actually started the church in our living room when I was 21. So and as I was working in the architect's firm, I was planting the church at the same time. So that's how it all began. So 25 years ago now. So you came to Canopy in the summer there, and uh, it was amazing to have you. Did your keynote speak? Uh, speech, which was brilliant, uh, but you also did a seminar which uh, was on uh, prayer, mm-hmm. and that's become something that's really important to us. The network of churches where we're, we're we love to be known. We were talking about this earlier today that if, if people think about the Baptist Union of Scotland, we would love them to think, "Oh, they're the people who pray." That would be our goal. Is, is that we would love to be known as that. And so you came and you really helpfully shared some stuff and we would love to to kind of dig into that a bit with you today, if that's okay. So, Yeah, I'd love to. 
What were the key points you made uh, in your in your talk? Well, just like you guys have this desire to be known for prayer, I, I think that my story would be, I think that prayer has all the way through been a huge key. I think at each stage, turning to God, seeking his direction, and then acting on what he tells you um, has been a key. So I guess our testimonies then aren't really what we've done. It's a testimony to, to be honest, they were all God's ideas. All we did was follow his lead and um, and have the, having the confidence that God can do that. And just before I get into that, just to say that the three hats I wear is obviously leading the church that we started, uh, City of the Hill. Um, it's now called City of the Hill. We started 25 years ago. Um, I also, I, I have a passion for bringing churches together to pray. So that's the other hat I wear. So I really believe in the importance of unity, not just building your own thing and doing your own thing, but actually building bridges between churches and then praying together. I can't think of anything more powerful we could be doing together than praying. So that very much correlates with what you've just said, Glenn. And then the final hat I wear is I oversee a family of churches, which um, some of which we've planted, uh, others we haven't planted, but we've been in a relationship. And, and and these days there are actually hundreds of churches in that family. It's called Go Global. So that's that's what I'm involved with there. I'll pause just a second because I, <laughs> because I think we, we can just blow right past that. But I mean, the, the, there's something about the incredible faithfulness of God there. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you started a church uh, in your living room with your wife and uh, now you oversee uh, hundreds of churches in uh, around the world, right? That, that, there's a story <laughs> somewhere in the middle there that, that I know has lots of ups and downs, but is there a short way of telling the story, I guess, is what, uh, that, that says something of the faithfulness of God? Because lots of our folks won't necessarily have heard that before. And they go, wait a minute, hundreds of churches around the world? How's that happen? Yeah, okay. So so it's exactly, it's 1,055 churches, I always see. Um, <laughs> and it's in, it's in an organization called the Go Global Family. So, so yeah, the, the, the short version is in 1998, when we just started the church, you know, I remember it was week, a few weeks in, and I was teaching from the Bible, and and I taught from Acts chapter one, where Jesus says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth." And I remember <laughs> there was maybe five of of us in the living room, and my message that day was our dream for this church, and we talked about how I. I think God wants to do that today. I think God wants to do Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And I said, this is our dream. We would love, by God's grace, to get some traction and impact Edinburgh. And maybe by God's grace, we could impact the Lothians. And who knows, by God's grace, could we impact our nation and the nations? And that's what we're going for. And and, and it wasn't, it sounds awful cocky. It was. It really wasn't cocky. We felt it, we felt out of our depth. We felt it was beyond us, but we nevertheless had a sense in our heart: why wouldn't God want to do that? So that was that was how we started out. And interestingly, one of the guys in the room at the time, our first church member, a guy called Bill, and I often joke when I'm I'm talking about planting the church because Bill had really long hair and a beard. He looked just like Jesus. And <laughs> if you're going to start a church, if you can get a guy who closely resembles Jesus, it's got to be a good start, right? And, but he was literally our first church member. He was the first guy I started discipling uh, way back then in, in my living room. And he was in that room at the time. But interestingly, he was my first church member. 
and he became my first church planter. So several years into the church, the church had, in Edinburgh had grown to maybe 150 people. And Bill, who was our first church member and then became a leader with me, then went to Inverness to plant a church. And to this day, I, I, I'm in touch with Bill and Bill is leading a church up there and has a vision for the Highlands. And mm -hmm. so, so yeah, so from Edinburgh, we've planted several churches. We've planted churches uh, around Scotland into um, Inverness, Falkirk, Dunfermline, and um, we've also planted churches across into Poland, but also further afield into Hong Kong, Namibia. Uh, three weeks ago, we started a church in the Cape area of South Africa. Uh, we're about to start a church in Abuja in, in January. Uh, we, but that's that, that's starting from a church that we had originally planted in Gombe, northeast in Nigeria. Again, these are people from Edinburgh going out. And so I look back to that living room conversation with five people and I think, wow, God's been faithful. So, yeah, so that, that, that's the journey. So we haven't planted 1,055 churches. Uh, we've planted from Edinburgh about nine churches. And then churches we've planted have planted churches. So, for example, Hong Kong Church has planted uh, a couple when a backslidden Christian came to our church years ago. He was living with his girlfriend. We helped him follow Jesus. We got him baptized. And then he became a leader. We sent him out to plant a church in Hong Kong. And now he from Hong Kong is planted into Nepal. And we now have 11 churches in Nepal. So it, so it's, it's grand it's son, sons and daughters and then grandchildren. But then also we've been in long-term relationship with others who we've, we've been supporting and working with who are now working with us. So um, that's that's kind of how that's emerged. Yeah, And, you know, I also have a passion that I really love Scotland. I really do. But I don't think that a what, what does a revived Scotland look like? Well, in my mind, a revived Scotland looks like a blessed world because you go back in history and you think much of what happened into other nations came from a revival that took place on our shore. So I, I have a reticence to be a, yeah, let's plant churches, have a Scotland-only mindset. Well, that's, you know, if I've got people in my congregation who are from Paris, why would I want to not want to actually think about maybe after you've been with us for a while in Scotland and maybe you're going back to Paris, why wouldn't we start a church in Paris? So I, I think churches in Perth could plant churches in Dubai. or So, so I really, I, th I think we've got to maybe get a little bit, get the blinkers off. And I know we want to see Scotland revived, but maybe the best thing we could do for Scotland is send some great people around the world. So um, that's just a it's, a, it's a, it's a bit of a challenging mindset to the, the church planters. What has happened from five in your living room to 1,055 uh, around the world and presumably more to come? And I guess that's partly why we've got you here, because we want to pick your brains about I guess what the engine behind that is, which is 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 prayer, and and you know you were kind enough to share at Canopy about that, and we we would definitely love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Okay, well, so I try to I try to simplify my understanding of prayer and by putting them into sums. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the first sum, this is what I shared at Canopy. The first sum is prayer plus agreeing with God equals effective prayer. And, and I made the comment that we often, or people think of praying as asking God for what we want. But actually powerful prayer, or indeed biblical prayer, is praying and asking God for what he wants. Mm. And that's, that's, 
you know, we see that in First John 5. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from him. And on the flip side, James 4, you do not have because you do not ask. And you still do not have because you ask with the wrong motives so you can spend it on your own pleasure. So again, you see the difference between self-serving prayers and God-serving prayers. But so powerful praying isn't that praying what you want, it's praying what God wants. So the obvious question then is, well, how do you know what God wants? And in, in the seminar, I said there's two sources of knowing what God wants. Number one, it's the word of God. And number two, it's the spirit of God. So if we're going to pray powerful prayers, we pray what he wants, not what we want. And how do we know what he wants? Well, through the word of God. And that's prayers with our Bible open. Great example that is in Daniel, where he'd, he'd, he'd been reading the book of Jeremiah. And he saw that God had said 70 years of exile. And then you're, you're free to return. And so he took the Bible. 70 years had just passed. And he prays in line with scripture. And it's, it's isn't it strange? It's almost we're saying, God, please, would you do what you want to do? It seems like a strange thing, but actually that's powerful praying. It's like on the day of Pentecost, it came after Acts 1, when the believers were asking God, please would you pour out your spirit like you promised you would? And they were asking him to do the very thing he had promised to do. And I think that's powerful praying is when we align ourselves with his, his word, but then also with his spirit. And, you know, we, we, we see in scripture, Paul talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. And I think that can be in our own language, or it can also be in tongues. So I, it, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I, I mean, sometimes God will lead us by the Holy Spirit to pray prayers, and we totally know what we're praying. We're, you know, he'll, He places someone in your heart to pray for, or He places, places a town or a city in your heart to pray for. So that's the praying in the Holy Spirit. But also, obviously, praying in the Holy Spirit could be praying in tongues, where that wonderful prayer language, we're praying in the will of God, um, for for things that we maybe don't even know what we're praying for, so there's there's, a, there's an unusual thought, a very Pentecostal thought, but but nevertheless a, a biblical thought. So so well, that's that, that's the first sum that praying plus agreeing with God equals effective prayer, and and I think that's that's that was point number one, and then point number two, I went on to say praying plus agreeing with each other is effective prayer, and. You know, there's lots of places you could go in scripture with this. Um, but Jesus said famously in Matthew 18, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And, and the word agree there is the Greek word that we get the word symphony from. So it's it's people in symphony with each other. And um, there's A.T. Pearson commenting about revival, he made the point that there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. And I think there is such a power when believers get together and pray in agreement with each other. So we're praying in agreement with God, but we're also now praying in agreement with each other. And, and that's one of the things we've been doing in the nation. We've been in Edinburgh, we've been gathering pastors for five years every week to pray for, for Edinburgh and Lothians. But also we've been encouraging that across the nation as well. And it's just been a joy to see pastors gathering, leaders gathering to pray in different contexts, different ways, but with the same heart to see God's kingdom come. Um, and then I, I went on to a very popular point number three, which is prayer plus fasting. <laughs> 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 equals effective prayer 
<laughs> oh boy, and that's the one we wish wasn't there. Uh, but we can't we can't deny in the Bible that we see that cities are rebuilt, people fasted, battles mm. being won on the back of people's fasting, missionaries being sent out in the back of and revivals and breakthroughs, and um, and then the question is again: so what's the mechanism behind that? Why is it that that makes that effective? And in the seminar, I took people to that famous passage in Daniel 10, where he has this divine experience and he's prayed and fasted for 21 days. And then he has this angelic experience where the angel comes and says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained by the king of Persia. And Daniel was thinking, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> That's like, Wow, I didn't know any of that was happening. All he knew, he was really hungry and he was praying persistently on the ground. But apparently what's going on in, in the terrestrial realm affects what's happening in the celestial realm. And our praying in this horizontal plane affects stuff that's happening up there. And we don't, Daniel wasn't addressing the demons in the air. Some people talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to address the demons and in this guy. I don't see that in the Bible. I see Jesus addressing demons and people. And, and I see here, Daniel's praying to the father and the father deals with the demons in the air by sending other angels, but that's beyond my pay grade. So, <laughs> you know, so I think, I think our responsibility is to pray. But my question then is, well, why is fasting so effective? And there's the word in the middle of that passage in Daniel 10. It says he humbled himself. It says, since you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself. And I, and David in Psalm 35, 13 says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And I think what fasting does, and this is the, this is the key, is fasting triggers humility in our soul. And the Bible makes it clear. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then there's this universal principle that Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it happens every time. It's a universal principle. It happens in the heavenly realm. When Satan exalted himself, he was humble. And then when Jesus in the incarnation humbled himself, then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name. And so this, this, I think there's nothing more spiritually powerful than humility. And equally, there's nothing more spiritually dangerous than pride. I think demons are attracted to pride people, uh, whereas God's favor is given to humble people. And so that's why I, th I think that prayer plus fasting leads to effective prayer. And um, mm -hmm. so that, that, was, that was the first three points I made. And I guess there was a few points as well. Uh, that's just amazing Pete I, I I just think it's beautiful what you've just shared and actually just listening to you I'm thinking that actually humility is the thing that characterizes all three of the points that you've made because there's a humility in saying I'm going to pray what what God thinks I should pray not just what I want isn't it? and and there's definitely humility in praying in agreement with other people because well we that's where we tend to get prou proud isn't it and think that I'm right and they're wrong and so actually laying ourselves down there there's there's something about humility that just comes through everything that you've just uh just shared which which is really powerful and and challenging but also attainable i mean in in a strange way to 
be humble is something that's attainable. Yeah, Whereas prayer is often something that's kind of out beyond me. It's, mm. it's, it's an interesting opposite. Kind of. Absolutely. I, I think when you fa- when you're fasting, it's almost you feel. I, I, I don't know about you, but emotionally, I, I feel quite impacted. <laughs> Sometimes I get quite down if I'm if I'm fasting. I've got very high metabolism, so I get hungry really quickly, and you feel low. And you, you, when you start, pr- but but the praying is different. It kind of it goes from here your head to your heart. It kind of you're praying from your gut. <laughs> it's like help me, God. You're praying from the depth of your being, and it. I think it does trigger humility. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think too, well, actually, let's let's lean into that because the the fasting piece is hard to do in practice for lots of people too, though, right? And so what would be, if somebody said to you, Pete, I'd love to learn how to fast well, what would you say? How, How would you encourage them to practically be able to work this out? I would advise them to talk to a better counselor, a better mentor in that one. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't feel, I mean, that's, I believe in it and I do it, but oh boy, it's, it's a weakness. In fact, the best person I know on this in Scotland is Brian Ingram, uh, who passes Rehope Church in Glasgow. We, we had him years ago, we had him come and speak in our church and we had him come and preach on the subject of prayer and fasting. And this is true, right? He, he came to preach and the day he came to preach was day 21 of a fast for him. Can you imagine that? So, <laughs> you know, I felt like saying to him, Brian, you didn't actually need to pray and fast before preaching this message. <laughs> but he, 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 Coincidentally, he was in the day 21 of a 21-day fast when he came to teach that in our church. And, yeah, so it, it was a, a very powerful message. But, but Brian Ingram would say that that's been a real key for them breaking through and seeing that multi-site church in Glasgow, great church in Glasgow, Rehope Church. Um, so, but yeah, so for fasting, so just a few things I would say. I, I would, when we, we have two moments in our year where in our church and also the churches that oversee, we, we have two weeks of prayer and fasting. We have a, a September moment coming up in the week beginning the 4th of September and we have a January moment. For, for me, that's the two starts to the year. It's the start of the academic year. It's the start of the new year. So we, we kind of start it all by saying, God, we need you. And in that week of prayer and fasting, what we encourage our church with is, number one, if you have any eating disorders or this, you have problems with food or not eating, this is not for you. So, so don't, don't engage. Engage with the praying, but don't fast. So we, we pastorally, we say that. But then secondly, we say, do this in a way that works for you. So for some people, they, they, they skip a couple of meals and have a light dinner, for example, skip breakfast and lunch and have a light dinner. And they do that through the week. Or some people say, we're going to take a day at the beginning, a day at the end, or we're going to do three days in a row. Or some people say, I'm going to do the full seven days. Um, I would never encourage anyone to go without liquids. And so practical things like that. In other years, we've done a longer fast, but we've done it vegetable only. And what that does is it, it keeps you in that zone that you become in that zone in your soul, if that's the right way to say it. But it sustains it because you've got a little bit of energy from the vegetable and maybe some nuts or something. So, um, And it's pretty healthy. It's a bit of a detox as well. So... <laughs> Yeah, so that, that that that's 
a great example, if you want a great story, and I shared this in the seminar. This is both a wonderful example, but quite funny as well. So I mentioned that we started the church in northeast Nigeria. So Ammon and Comfort had been studying in Edinburgh, and they were originally from Gombe. In northeast Nigeria, that's not a safe place for Christians. So they, they went from, they were in Edinburgh, and they, they talked to me about starting a church. And we said, Let, let's do it. So we, we did training with them. We prepared them. They had jobs in the university in Gombe. So they went back to Gombe to, to pick up work in the university there, but also to start a church. So with their own money, they bought a, a piece of land and built a makeshift shelter, uh, structure for, for, for a church building. And then they fasted and prayed 40 days. And they skipped lunch and breakfast every day and a very light dinner for 40 days in a row. And they were praying and calling on God for the launch of this church. And they just invited everyone they knew in Gombe to come along. Mm-hmm. And on day one, on the day of the launch, there was 120 people there. <clears throat> and that's that was encouraging. But when they looked around the room, they were realized these are all Christians from other churches. <laughs> <laughs> well wishers to cheer them on. So they knew that week two was the rubber hits the road. That's the litmus test. Have we landed? And when week two came, there was one guy there and he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that? You've, you've traveled oh. from the safest place on earth, Edinburgh, to one of the most dangerous places on earth. You fast and prayed 40 days and with your own money, you've built a building and you've got one drunk guy in your church. But they, they started talking with the guy and they discovered that he was drunk because his wife was at home and she was dying with cancer. So they went that afternoon and they prayed with the wife. And she was, long story short, she was miraculously healed. She That next week she went for tests. She was cancer-free. I mean, it was incredible because she, she was given no hope. And that family came to Christ. And then three families in that community came to Christ. And that was how the church started. Wow. Um, but, you, you know, it's just a, it's a beautiful story. And it just tells you there is no, there is no manual for this. It is, I mean, the book of Acts is our manual, and that just shows that there is no one-size-fits-all solution to breaking open territory. But I just love that story of bringing fasting, breaking open um, a situation. That's amazing. And it, it also shows that that it's not a, oh, if I do this, God will do this. It, it, you know, God, God had a very different way to get that church started. It probably wouldn't have been exactly how they were praying and yeah. certainly how it, how it worked out. So absolutely amazing. Love and and actually, Glenn, you, you said something there that I think is really important, that if we do this, God will do this. And I think it's very important when we say this when it comes to fasting. We, we understand the gospel of God's grace. There's literally nothing we can do for God to bless us in return. Then you know, it's it. We all we do is we. It's not our work for Him; it's His work for us that saves us. And so, when it comes to fasting, which could be seen as a religious work, and um, we've got to be very careful that our people understand the gospel and grace. That it's not fasting is not like a hunger strike. That okay, God. <laughs> <laughs> you don't answer our prayers. I might just die here. I might, you know. Uh, so it's it's not like we're trying to twist God's arm up behind his back and prove how genuine we are. It really isn't about that. In fact, I don't. I think again, it goes back to point number one: prayer plus agreeing with God. It's we're asking God to do the very thing that God is actually passionate about doing, and our fasting isn't so much about getting to cha- God to change His mind. It's more about us with our whole being coming into agreement with heaven 
and saying, God, do what you want to do. And so we, we understand grace. This is not about trying to get something from God that he, that he didn't want to do in the first place. Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. So Pete, you've just given us so, so much inspiration and practical, helpful things to think about. Cause I think so many of us think I, I really wish that I was better at, at prayer and, um, you know, so is there anything else in terms of resources that you could recommend for people who just want to think more about prayer and pray more even? Yeah, so um, just a, a practical thing that I do every day that helps me praying, because so even though I'm doing a seminar in prayer, people might be duped into thinking that I'm an expert in prayer. I, I don't feel like I'm an expert in prayer. I believe in its importance and I, and I and I try and do it as consistently as I can, but I always feel probably like most people, oh, I wish I was better at this. But for me, here's what helps me on a daily basis. And I think it was Larry Lee's book uh, years ago. I can't even remember the name. Uh, Can You Tarry and Pray One Hour? I think that's what it's called. And he just gave, so I'll give you the outline of the book, then you don't need to buy the book. That Basically, he he encourages people to use the Lord's Prayer in their praying. And so that's what I do every day. So I, or certainly that's what I do most days. And I start with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I just, that's that's my way in. I, I start looking up, worshipping, adoring, thanking God for a new day, thanking him, he's my Father. That's what I do. And then I go on from having done the praise and worship, then I move on to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And then that, that's when, and you can start wide if you want and start with the nations, pray for Ukraine, pray for the, the, ch- the church in China, pray, pray for the nations, and then you can narrow it down to our nation, and then you can narrow it down to your community, you can pray for your church, pray for the kingdom to come, pray for souls to be saved, you can name some people who don't know Jesus, pray for them, and then you go from there to give us a stay our daily bread, so then I then I start praying for, Father, I pray for provision for this, I pray for so-and-so who needs a job, I pray for um, my, my, my kids to get spouses, uh, so I pray provision, then forgive us, my, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us, and just moment to confess and clear the decks and also bless people who maybe hurt us and then go on lead us not to temptation to deliver us from the evil one that's that's when i pray protection on my family but for me i pray also protection on my fellow leaders and pastors but if you're part of a church that's your moment to pray blessing on your pastor and your leaders and over your, your small group leader your pastors their, their marriages and then i love how it ends but yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You're, you're, you end how you began. You say, God, you're great. You're amazing. Everything I've prayed, you are so well able to answer every prayer I've prayed. And um, so that, that that Larry Lee outline has really helped me. Um, a couple of other resources I would point people in the direction of is there's a John Paul Jackson book called Needless Casualties of War. And mm-hmm. it's actually really interesting about not getting stuck in weird spiritual warfare, but actually um, I I talked earlier about not addressing the demons in the air, but focusing on your territory, which is this horizontal realm and praying to God to do the bits that we don't know. And he's actually very insightful. Actually, I thought it was a really interesting, not my usual reads, but very interesting. Um, Dutch Sheets, I think he wrote a book called Intercessory Prayer, which is a classic. Um, and the final one would be David Yonggi Cho's Prayer That Brings Revival. It's a very small book, and but it's uh, it's a very powerful book about 
the revival they've, they saw in the 1990s or in fact, actually for several decades in Korea, where Korea went from virtually 0% Christian to nearly 50% Christian. And they, they attribute that sustained revival to sustained prayer. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's good, really some helpful resources. And we've been reading in our team, um, Tyler Statton's book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And that's also got, it's really inspiring as well, some great stories and some really practical help as well for things you can try, including praying through the Lord's Prayer a little bit like you've described. Brilliant. Pete, thank you so much uh, for your time. We so appreciate you being willing to give it to us uh, and especially for your wisdom uh, for it. So. Uh, thank you. Bless you in all that you do. May you know the, God, the Lord's blessing on your church, uh, on your family, and on uh, the wider network that you look after too. And uh, we look forward to cheering you on in all that you are doing. Well, thanks so much, guys. And bless you guys at the Baptist Union. Thanks for all that you're doing in the nation and beyond. 